Welcome to Our Folklore, a fashion, art, culture, and design podcast brought to you by The Folklore, a contemporary online concept store and wholesale showroom that curates Africa's top luxury and emerging designer brands. My name is Amira Rasul. I am the founder and CEO of The Folklore and the host of this podcast. We are going to have a lot more of these episodes coming up for this season one. We're going to go between 10 to 12. Depends on, you know, how the world's, you know, shaking out at the moment. We want to make sure that we can do some really great in-person interviews. And so, you know, we're in a time right now where, you know, Corona pretty much has us in a disarray. But that's okay. As long as everyone's staying home practicing social distancing. I have been practicing social distancing personally for about 24 years now. I, you know, just am a homebody by nature. So I feel like I've been preparing for this moment for a really long time. And I've consistently told people that going outside was trash. And now, you know, I think people are starting to believe me. Um, Only time to really go outside is when the folklore has an amazing pop-up shop. I feel like that's when we, you know, you want to go touch some clothes, you know, check out some of our designers. We'll maybe do an event. We'll start selling candles soon. You're going to want to smell the candles in person. But yes, no, for, for now, you know, we are staying inside. We are washing our hands. We are watching Netflix. We are, you know, there's so many good Netflix things on Netflix. Just started watching Dirty Money season two. Amazing. You know, so many good Nollywood films on there. And they just made one of my favorite Nollywood films, 50, into a series. And now that's all I do. I watch 50 and I watch Royal Pains, which I just started watching. Anyway, let's get back into what we came here for. We're gonna actually we have actually really special podcast episode a lot of people wanted to attend the New York Fashion Week panel discussion that we had and we actually sold out of seats for that very quickly so we definitely made sure to record that podcast so we could allow you to hear it but before we jump into that want to provide some updates about what's happening with the folklore right now so we are still operating you can still go online shopthefolklore.com make your purchases but there are minor delays with orders going out because of you know new york's a little bit on lock a little bit on you know (laughs) so it may take you know four to five business days for your orders to dispatch but that should not stop you from going and picking the size you want and then putting in your all the good information like where we should deliver it to you know, who we should charge, i.e. Visa, Amex, MasterCard, all of that good stuff. We also have a new brand that we just welcomed to the site, Chalk Jewelry. So Chalk Jewelry is a London-based design studio run by architect Malika Carr, who creates unusual geometric wearable forms. So Chalk's collections are influenced by architectural elements, everyday objects, and bold, colorful cultural patterns. So you can actually go on our website now and shop pieces from chalk jewelry which i'm obsessed with super happy to have them on the site and we'll be uploading new products once a week moving forward typically on a wednesday maybe on a thursday but check back every week and make sure you sign up for our newsletter so you're aware of when we upload new products we also have tons of new new blog content for you to check out while you're at home social distancing and pretending to work from home on the blog this week we have the seven best books by african authors to read right now one of my personal favorites that I read a few weeks ago, which I'm like a big book nerd, y'all, 
it was my sister, the serial killer. Whew. I mean, so I thought it was going to be very much like a teen, teeny bopper kind of book, but I was captivated from day one. One book that's not on there, but I did get a chance to read recently too, is Ghana Must Go. Big fan of that book too. We should have threw that on there. And right now is the time to catch up on your reading. You know, we can't watch Netflix forever. Personally, I can, but maybe you shouldn't. So we can also, you can also check out the interview that we did with uh, designer Leone, Leone Badger of Studio Badge on how she's disrupting the home design industry with her amazing cement and wood platters. When I tell you amazing, I've been stalking her to get them on the site forever. They're finally on the site. We only have select number of boards, but we're hoping to get some new ones in soon. We also have the full lookbook for Orange Culture's Autumn Winter 2020, the Flower Boy Collection. Please go schmooze over that. I love the photography. I love the direction of it. And, you know, I lo- I'm obsessed with bios. So definitely go check that out. Also, we have some new press. Always good with press. Press, 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 press. The folklore always needs some press. So we, I spoke with Fashionista about being a part of a new wave of online retailers curating products based on cultural or a geographic identity. As you know, the folklore focuses on designers from Africa and the diaspora. And so it was really great to really share my story about the importance of building a company that luxury African brands can leverage to scale globally. So definitely check that out on fashionista.com. And if you're listening to this, you might have been directed from this new article that they wrote about this podcast dropping on Bustle. And if not, go ahead and read the article on bustle.com. It should be out today. And we also have an interview with, they interviewed Bio, who's uh, actually going to be featured on this episode about the discussion that we're having so this week we are going to hear audio from the new york fashion week panel discussion that the folklore hosted last month at the museum of contemporary african diaspora and arts now if you have not been to that museum you must go it's uh the abbreviation is mokata so you might be a little bit more familiar with it that with that title actually but we work with mokata a lot great museum they're really always on the pulse of what's happening in the culture. The panel discussion was a part of a three-day New York Fashion Week takeover that included a pop-up shop and a presentation of Orange Culture's Autumn Winter 2020 collection. During the panel, I spoke with Orange Culture founder and creative director Bio, former GQ editor and current stylist Alexander Julian, aka AJ, aka my homie, head of design head designer of Jonathan Simkai, Nanaya, and the cut social media editor Nana and also my homie and fellow Jersey native shout out to you girl so we spoke about the support and the skills that are needed to help globalize Africa's luxury design industry and really wanted to be able to get into the detailed you know um, ideas around how we're promoting these brands how we are supporting these brands, what it's going to take for them to scale. And of course, that's all the folklore is about. And so we wanted to make sure that we provided the opportunity for you to hear from not only the designers themselves, but people who are also helping stir up these brands in the media and in other creative mediums. So really excited for you to hear that and excuse the audio. It was a live podcast, the first one. So all the episodes going forward will be a lot more, you know, professionally done. You see how good my voice sounds? We're going to make sure that all the podcasts going forward sound like that. But if anyone has listened to a live podcast, you know how difficult it is to make it sound like butter. Anyway, 
I'm excited for you guys to listen to this and check it out. I would like to thank all of you for coming out to this New York Fashion Week panel that Orange Culture and the folklore have collaborated to host. The conversation that we're having is about how we globalize African designer brands. The resources that need to be put into making sure that this is that these brands can be found in countries around the world and that they have the finances and the support that they need to scale these brands. So I'm going to actually let our panelists introduce themselves before we begin. Hi everyone, thank you guys for all coming out today. Super excited to see all your beautiful chocolate faces. I'm Nana Adjumine, I am social media editor at The Cut, also founder of Every Stylish Girl. Hi everyone, loving to see beautiful faces. My name is Nana Yao, also known as Lala Nana Seven. Um, I am head designer for Jonathan Sankai. Um, I am a performance artist, I am a stylist, I am a movement director, and I model Nana Dance. Mm. And I'm from London. Do you guys really need a mic? <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> um, Alright, let me just try to whisper. Um, hi everybody, my name is uh, Alexander Julian Gibson. Uh, everybody really knows me as AJ. Um, I am a stylist. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I do other stuff too, but I mean, I think in the context of where we are now, I am a stylist and um, I'm Nigerian, so I think that's also what kind of fun to be able to do. And where are you from? Um, I'm from Nigeria, but I'm also from Houston, Texas. I don't know which one you wanted, but. Okay. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Adebayo Okelawal and I'm the creative director of Orange Culture. <laughs> from Lagos, you know, yeah. so. From Lagos, Nigeria. Fresh in too. Uh, yes. <laughs> Alright, so I uh, just want to get a little bit of background on Orange Culture since this is our Orange Culture takeover at, at Mokata. You're celebrating 10 years in business right now. Not many African luxury brands make it that far. What do you think has, what do you credit to your success? Okay, oh, well, so 10 years. So yeah, we'll be 10 years in April. Um, so how do I explain the success of the brand? So Orange Culture basically started 10 years ago. Um, and I think one of the selling points for Orange Culture has really been the genuineness of the story. Um, I think one of the things I discovered starting the brand 10 years ago was really that a lot of the stories that were being told by African brands were quite convoluted, and a lot of them were sort of um, narratives that were being forced upon us by other people. So 10 years ago when I was starting my brand, I remember one of the first things I noticed, um, no offense to anyone, was if an African brand was being called, it had to be a brand that was making Ankara clothing, or a brand that fit a certain niche, it had to look a specific way, tell a specific story, and it really just all seemed the same. And it seemed like stories that weren't really ours. For example, a lot of people know now, but then, 10 years ago, Ankara was so prominent, but then we found out that Ankara wasn't even our country, it wasn't even our fabric. It was being spun by people in a very <laughs> non-black country. <laughs> And the money was going back to people who were building a factory and giving it back to an economy that wasn't ours. So I decided, for example, that I didn't want to fit into that narrative. I didn't want to be a brand that was creating clothing that 
made no sense, um, that had no background or culture or had no wealth in history. It was just a brand that literally had no impact. So 10 years ago, I said, I'm going to create a brand that has impact. I wanted to create a brand that had a narrative that was ours, that felt true to us, felt true to our stories. That was me. I grew up in Nigeria. I, you know, I built my life in Nigeria. Um, my experiences are Nigeria, and so I wanted it to be true to me. I wanted to sell to somebody who understood that this wasn't the story that they were used to hearing. I wanted something that felt more authentic. And so I felt like that was really one of the strongest things for us, because people, when we did our first collection, our second, everyone was like, oh, this is a Nigerian brand. And people kept questioning our Africanness. You know, it's like, oh, how, is this really an African brand? Um, I remember I went to a show once, and this was in Italy. And I was, I was the only African showing there. And they said to me, oh, you don't have any Ankara in your collection. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't. But what is the issue with that? And they were like, oh, yeah, it just doesn't seem African enough. And it seems very you know, non-African. It seems Western. And I was like, but you know, the prints are created by me. The prints are my story. I'm Nigerian. It's connected to my culture. So how is that less African? You know, and how is that? You know, it's built by Africans, it's built in Nigeria, we make the clothes in Nigeria, the collection is produced in Nigeria, so how is that not Nigerian, or how is that not African? And so, being able to create that narrative that's authentic has really been the strength of the brand. And also translating that to everything, to the way we visualize the brand, the way we shoot the brand, the way we speak of the brand, the kind of models we cast. I go to castings all the time and, you know, I say, oh, I only want models of color, and it's like, oh, Really, why? I'm like, well, that's what I want, you know. So there's a specific, there's a specificity to the way the story is told for the brand, and I think that's really the selling point for the brand for the past ten years ago. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and um, so Nana, yeah, you took a different path. You decided to work for different design houses. Uh, you've worked for Kinzo. You've worked, for now you're at Jonathan Senkai, Taj as well, right? So what, what made you decide to take that path, and what was that process like? So I, my parents are from Ghana, and I grew up in London. I was born and raised in London, but I actually grew up in Holland. So my path in fashion was, um, was a little bit different. It was very art-based. So I went to an art academy in Holland, and everything was about like um, the concept and not about the end product. It wasn't about, like, oh, making beautiful dresses. It was more about what are your ideas, how do you get to that, to those ideas. And when I went to London, it was more about, I did my BA and my Masters, and it was, by the way, I was always the only black girl in each school. So I went to um, King's University and then to the Royal College of Art, where black people. Um, and it was always about, oh, making beautiful dresses, but for me it was always about the idea. I, I was interested to know how it worked in other countries. Other, sorry, um, how it worked at like a luxury house. Um, I wanted to like get my nose in so I could understand how they, how they, I don't know, design, make all these beautiful clothing. So uh, my first job was in Paris at, um, at Kenzo and it was with Antonio Maras when he was there. And it was really interesting to me because I was with him for two years and then opening <coughs> ceremony came in. So Antonio is very kind of like couture based, a lot of draping, um, details, um, beautiful embroideries from, from India. And I was so, it was just like, when a, 
luxury luxury house has like a lot of money. You can literally do anything. It's so different to having like um, to be in a small company. And I wanted to understand like who are the top, um, who do they work with? I wanted to go to India. I went to India, saw how everything was made, and it was just fascinating to me. And I wanted to know more. I think it was more coming from um, being a black girl and not being exposed to anything like that growing up. And I was just curious. So, and also curious to see how I would be treated. Um, so coming into that world, I remember when I took my portfolio, I was looking for jobs. Um, they always thought my name was Japanese for some reason. So when they opened the door, they would see this black girl and be like, oh, you could see like a surprise in their faces. And they would always expect me to have a very, either African or really bad um, uh, portfolio. And then it would always be like, so we, we don't have anything, nothing, nothing. I was like, oh, it's okay, just have a look through my portfolio. And I'd be like, ah, uh, just one second, let me get some. Uh, uh, and I'd just be like. <laughs> <laughs> so I got offered a lot of jobs, and then my first job was with Kenzo, um, assistant designer. And then I went to Italy. I was like, I want to know what it's like in Italy. Italy was for me a really bad experience because it was extremely racist. Um, I think I was the first, you know, I was the first black person to ever work at Todd's and it was, I was Alessandra Facchinetti's right hand woman and literally I would go into meetings, there would be people who wouldn't shake my hand, um, they were just like, who's this girl that was speaking Italian, I was living Italian but so I couldn't understand what they were saying but they would always be like looking down at me. Um, and it was interesting to me, it was, it was a horrible feeling, but I was also happy that somehow I was let in to see how this worked. Um, I worked on the shoes, jewelry, clothing, I got to see um, the amazing, huge, I mean it's, it's really incredible. They have like a huge like laboratorium where they can do absolutely anything and make everything to like the most, anything you want, they'll make it. And for me, I realized, I think probably a couple of, a couple of years later, when I was like, oh, I actually wouldn't mind. I want to learn. Sorry, I'm really nervous as well. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so I, I wanted to learn, I wanted to see, because I think deep down inside I have this idea of like, I want to help my people, I want to help black people, I want to help um, African designers especially because we don't get taught all of these like small little ways of finishing products, of like, um, you know, finessing our, our, um, our products and just seeing how it's done and being able to kind of like, you know, consult with someone for me was very interesting. Um, I, I went on to, I came to America, I started getting offers in America and I never wanted to come to America because it was just too far away. Um, from my family and, and I was going to go to coach, I declined and I went to um, Rebecca Minkoff, I was design director for Rebecca Minkoff for a couple of years, which was interesting because it was my first foray into the contemporary world coming from like a luxury um, background and for me that was like absolutely crazy but I understood, I got to learn about, um, you know, sellable things, you know, making clothing that actually sells where I was just making beautiful luxury products that only like a few people, well not a few people, but like a, a group of people can buy. Um, so for me that was really interesting.
luxury African brand for being covered? Um, I would first say it started with Afrobeats, right? I think it's the movement of bringing this music to America now, right? A lot of the editors know about Afrobeats, they know about Wizkid, they know about Burner Boy, and they look at their style, right? So back home for us in Africa, fashion, music, culture, like it's all intertwined, it's all one. Most of the artists are also interested in fashion, right? Um, so I think with that, the rise of Afrobeats and it coming to America, a lot of the editors noticed and they wanted to capture that. Um, so for example, The Cut actually was supposed to use some orange culture pieces last year, I believe, but they couldn't come in time. But it was just even, but it was just a, even amazing to have your name in the room, right? Because that would never been something thought of before, ever, ever, ever. Um, so I think people are realizing now slowly but surely and it's having voices that are diverse in the room there's only three black people on the cut unfortunately wow. um, but we are all I would say like we are all very aware of different brands obviously different cultures I'm Ghanaian so I try to help as much with the West African um, storytelling as possible um, but it's just like these movements these moments are so vital um, the for uh, the year of return I went back all the editors were talking about it. The editor in chief was like, "Why were you with Naomi Campbell?" And I was like, "Oh, my boy, AJ." Like, <laughs> um, but like, they were so moved by that. They were like, "Can we hear more?" They literally brought me to a room. The editor in chief was like, "I want to hear all about this experience, right?" Because they're fascinated. They didn't know Africa looked like that. They didn't know people were there like that. They didn't know the fashion there. They didn't understand the culture. So to them, they're like, "Can you literally walk us through this experience? Like, we want to understand." and they want to write about it and they want to cover it. Um, so I think it starts with one person being in the room, being able to vocalize it, showing, thank God, because of social media, showing that storytelling when they go back. Because before we didn't have social media, I can't imagine what they thought Africa looked like. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned. You saw um, Tarzan. <laughs> right, stop it, stop it. <laughs> right, literally Tarzan. Um, that ain't even had black people. So I think that they couldn't, they couldn't fathom the idea of like this enriching, beautiful experience. And we're so happy. And I was telling them, I didn't know when I come back. And they couldn't understand that, right? Um, so I think it's so important to have the music popping right now, of course, but also like social media. I think social media has been a huge facet into why um, African designers and brands are getting so much more exposure than they ever have in media. Okay, thank you. And uh, AJ, can you tell us a little bit about when brands like Orange Heart Culture uh, got on your radar and how have you been engaging with these brands since? Um, see, uh, I think social media, I think social media um, was a big part of it as well. But um, I think one thing that, because I've known about Bio and his brand for uh, maybe I found out about you guys in 2015. And then I feel like I didn't meet Bio until 2017, obviously, when I went back to Nigeria. Um, but one thing that I think pushed a lot of like African brands and, and specifically Bio's brand is his story. Um, because Bio's telling a story about. Um, Nigeria and what it's like to be in Nigeria and be different in Nigeria and and that was something that 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 is a challenge living there and that's something that a lot of editors a lot of like magazines a lot of like um, publications wanted to find out about because I think social media has made us even though some people are a little bit more challenged than others but social media has made us a more global society like you know you may follow somebody who lives in Paris you may follow somebody 
he lives in Milan or lives wherever, anywhere in the world, and it's just a click of a button, and you're connected to this person in their own culture and like the way they live instantly, and especially with the way that now on social media, you're the person you're following, you're kind of seeing every, absolutely everything they're doing like all day. And so, if you're following someone who's a different country, you're now learning about what it's like to live in that other country. And because we've had that, now people are not interested in like, okay, some of the issues that happen in these other countries, and how are these people dealing with these issues, and how are they telling the stories of how, to serve, of how to live despite these issues. Um, so I feel like that was one of the big things that helped push um, brands like BIOS, and then BIOS, I think, honestly, I think it's really good to have this conversation because I feel like BIOS was one of the brands that kind of helped open the narrative of like, at least Nigerian designers for me, but I think African designers as a whole, because, you know, it's a story that like attracts people, but then it's like, okay, there's a story, but then these clothes are beautiful, so like, let's find out more. And like, this guy's doing really good. This, this guy has a great collection. Let's find out who else might have a great collection. BIOS, friends of other designers. I think, what did I, when I went back to Nigeria, when I went, I went back to Nigeria, um, I was shooting a story for the cut. No, it wasn't the cut, it wasn't the cut. Oh, I'll <laughs> 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 It was a cup of tour, it was a cup of tour. Um, and I, I think I already had Bio like set, I was gonna work with Bio, and I think literally just like me being out, being with friends, I'm just like meeting other designers, and just like finding out about their stories, like, oh my God, you're like, we're sitting here. Literally, I think there was a guy, I was at a concert, and I saw this guy with a bowl cut, and I was just like, that's a cool haircut. And I was like, this guy looks like he's cool. We find out who he is. And like, literally, I talked to him and I found out like, he's like this amazing creative director, photographer, like just a really great social site. All these are really amazing, talented people who are all in, on the content doing amazing things. So it's good to like, and so like when you're following one person, you find out about the next person. And you find out about like this, this community of like amazingly talented people. And I saw that and I was so happy to like that. I mean, my background is, um, I um, born and raised in Houston, Texas. Houston has like the like largest community of Nigerians. I think I don't know the specific stats, but like <laughs> top, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but I know it's like absolutely top three in the world. Um, so and I and I was um, and I'm like the, my church's poster boy. Um, the church started in my the church started in my house. Um, it now has 3,000 people in its worldwide Nigerian church. So I experienced Nigerian culture. I literally, until I went, I ended up going to Howard University. Before I went to Howard, I, this is gonna be a, a controversial statement, I didn't like even really recognize myself as being black. I was like, I'm Nigerian. And like, I didn't even realize how to like merge those two worlds until I'd gone to Howard, which was like another experience for me. But basically I um, always identified as Nigerian, so it's really good to like kind of see the things that I'm seeing in America in my like community of Nigerians and seeing them like being elevated by people back on the continent and seeing like seeing all of our traditions and things that we celebrate and things that we like live through on the daily being like elevated and brought to the 20th, uh, 21st century and like being taken to like absolute next level by like these young people who are the same age as me like just doing amazing things on the continent and so those are the stories that I felt were super important to tell because I feel like I'm talking too long. But, um, one of the things that I really, really love about what I do because I am a stylist but I also like to do a lot of travel work and I, I find ways to merge too. Um, we spend, we all work in the industry, we all see how um, important cities like Paris and Milan and New York and um, London are, but um, we, what we don't realize is that a lot of, a great designer, a great, um, Great brands inspired by people, and, and and the brands that like 
push bound to the people, that are, um, the brands that inspire by people from all over the world. And so we have these brands that are really big and inspiring people all over the world, and then they're getting to shine. It's like, but what about the people like who inspired you, who like are doing these things? So this is part of their culture, and so that's why I think it's important for me to like be in Nigeria and be kind of push that way forward. And also like I do it in other cultures as well. It's like kind of my motto in life is kind of make sure that as as you know LV is getting is becoming the biggest brand, Gucci and all these brands are doing the things that they're doing. We're not forgetting the people that are inspiring like these desires, the people that are inspiring these creative directors and like showing the, showing the cultures that are that are giving us the clothes that we wear every day.
people who are just getting money from work. A lot of people are doing nine to fives and saving up. You know, people are saying, oh, maybe I can be an influencer and make money from this. So it's there's not there's no particular source of income that's like you know fixed. People are figuring that shit out. Everyone's like, okay, I'm gonna do like three jobs and save up and start my business. It's a hustle industry. So. You know, it's not, it's not, it's how <laughs> you do like three things and save up money to focus on your one, but there's really maybe a few banks, but the laws are crazy, like they'll tell you, for example, maybe 20% interest you have to pay monthly, and you know, it's like a short, it's a short repayment plan, maybe they'll tell you, you have to pay this in like 12 months, but the interest rate is so high, and for fashion, if anyone that works in fashion knows, especially, that it's quite slow to get a return on your investments. And especially for Nigeria, where the fashion industry is still very much at the you know, the baby stage. It's still figuring itself out. The customer is still figuring themselves out feeling like they want to buy African you know. So it's a bit tough for designers to survive on that, you know, offer. So it's still a lot of people just figuring themselves out, saving their little money and investing in themselves. Okay. And Nana, yeah, since you've seen the other side where there's like big budgets. What is like? What are some of the most expensive things that designers need to pay for? That you know, like, what's the reason why they need this money and not twenty percent interest rates? Like, what's something that is really you know going to hinder these brands from being able to expand? I think overspending, um, which is really hard. But you know, fabrics, you gotta you gotta know. What your price point is, where do you want to sit in a market? Um, I think it's always good to have a business partner partner as well, to be honest with you. Um, I've seen like in some of the companies that I've worked or like I've consulted with, people have really great business partners who are not um, who have nothing to do with the creative side. And you need someone like that who's just completely like, okay, I'm doing the numbers. For example, um, Philip Lim has that, him and his partner, and they do very well. And I think a couple of other brands as well. And um, because when you're creative, you're just like, oh my god, I love this fabric. And then you spend like hundreds and hundreds on fabrics and embroideries and I don't know what next. But you really, I think what you said as well, keeping things slow and doing things slowly is very important. A lot of people tend to um, um, go too fast, too big. And I think like in, the, in this industry right now, it's very saturated. Um, there's a lot of brands, there's so many people doing things in fashion. And you really have to stand out to kind of like um, make a mark. So I think it's about like starting small, having a great business plan, if possible, a business partner, um, knowing your numbers, like yeah, what I said in terms of um, your price point, I think it's very important. And not getting too excited because the return is pretty slow. <laughs> And it might be great to have like celebrities wearing your clothes and being in magazines, but that doesn't mean that um, your garments are actually selling. Yes. And that's what a lot of people forget. So um, I would say, and that's something that I've learned in the years I've been doing fashion, is like, you know, people want to wear wearable things. It's great to have like your um, over-the-top <coughs> crazy outfits for editorial. Yeah, couture. But be, think of a woman, or if you're doing menswear, what do what do people really want to wear? What do they feel comfortable in? Maybe you know it's about you know. Um, I personally go for quality of fabrics. That's what I'm really into. Details, how finishings, how things are made. Um, you know, you, colors. You can do so much with so little. 
that's what I would say. Okay. And um, so I want to talk more about the promotion of luxury brands. So I know you, Nana and AJ, you've touched on a little, on a little bit uh, about how you know media is now intertwined with this movement. What are some ways that you specifically have been uh, using your power in media to promote brands from Africa and the diaspora? And what are some ways that you plan on doing so moving forward? Um, sure. uh, I think it's just important. I mean. I think it's important just to support, obviously, do what you can um, as a writer and a stylist. By all means, I'm always trying to get too much. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, just like featuring it but as you can. But um, one thing that I um, really want to do with Africa specifically is um, I really feel like we're all in a time period like where um, we're all very proud to where we're from, or to, you know, you know, we're, you know, so you know what I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, but we're all like very proud, and so I feel like um, we need to capitalize on that. And right now, we're in a period where, especially Africa, where everybody wants to buy in. Um, everybody, every magazine, literally, whenever I go to Nigeria, so I'm a freelance writer, a freelance writer, styles, whatever, freelance, basically. You just pay me, I'll do it. <laughs> so, I go to Nigeria or anywhere in Africa, if I announce that I'm going to Africa, magazines will start hitting me up like, oh yeah, we want this, we want this, we want this. Like all the magazines want content, want stuff from Nigeria, and want stuff from Africa as a whole. But I think that it's important. So everybody really wants to buy it. I think it's important that um, as Africans, especially the ones on the continent, that we like kind of establish ourselves before we can unlock what's coming by it. Because I feel like without doing that, then we open our arms to like cultural colonialism. Literally the same Ooh, thing that yes. happened before just has happened again and then for all of our ideas to be taken. I think exactly what AJ said. I think what's important for me is being a part of this industry, getting so much knowledge of traditional industries, legacy industries that have been doing this for so long and establishing something like that within Ghana, right, in West Africa, um, which is why I have my own media company, Every Stylish Girl, and why I've worked in journalism for years on years to be able to go back um, educate the women there, have master classes, have events, which I'm doing an event in Ghana in December, so make sure to come through. Um, but it's, it's pretty much a networking conference for people who work in media, fashion, and beauty. We do it here all the time in New York and major cities. It's called Sip and Slay. AJ's been one of the speakers. Um, but so many women have come, black women have come, gotten jobs from there, so many different opportunities, and you learn that the industry is multiple different areas. It's not just about um, modeling or designing and not to discredit any of those, but there's so many areas. Um, so I think it's important. We have so much talent that you have to educate people about it, but you also have to establish your own company, right? Because the most important thing is right now we could be a trend to them, right? Like them saying Vogue Africa, this could be a hot trend. Two years later, they're over it. So build your own companies. Make sure it's longer than a trend, right? We are the trendsetters, so don't let them surpass us. Um, so that's kind of my goal. Same thing with AJ, is like establishing those organizations there, taking people back to Ghana. That's really my main goal. And while I'm telling y'all, this December, you heard it again. Um, but we're all going back to Ghana, because we need to keep spreading our stories. We need to build and establish there. I mean, even talking about the idea of it being a trend, yeah, I, I just thought about it. If you remember the Vogue Germany? Was it Vogue, was it Vogue Germany? Yes. Vogue Germany, I was like, yes. um, 
what was the what was the, the, the creepy ass line that they said? It was L. It was L. Yeah. And it was the blackish or something. Oh, yeah, no, it was like And they made the wrong bottle too. Yeah, like what do you mean? Yeah, I mean it was all all of it. The whole thing was a mess, but just like the concept that black is in, like. So I did it. This is a, a thing I talk about all the time. I talk about like equity in the industry. Um, I talk about this with um, black people in the industry in America. It's like I feel like we are hot right now. Whatever we've always been hot, but now they're into it, and I think it's great. You know, great to have a black model on the face of the on the face of the magazines. It's great to have a black model on the runway, but at the end of the day. They're going to see it as a trend. So, what are we doing to now that we've been open up, we've been led to these rooms to like show the community face? What are we doing to make sure that we then get our equity? What are we doing? We're to make disposable. Sure, exactly. To them, we're disposable. Yeah. So, like, you have to make sure that we're doing what we can. They said, like, okay, yeah. And so it's like, for example, when I was at GQ, um, oh, I was just trying to get your attention. I'm just doing that whole thing. So when I was at GQ, um, I sorry, I didn't mention I used to work. They used to work there full time for. Um, Three years, two and a half, or something like that. Um, and I was like one of the only black people there, and and I and I knew it. I knew that's why. I mean, I don't think that's why I was hired, but um, but like I knew that there are some opportunities that I got because I was the only black person. Like for example, we started like our social, like our big social tape. Um, like of course they were like, oh yeah, AJ, you should get it from the camera. Let's just make them look like they're diverse and make them look like you know. And I'm like, whatever, that's fine. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to use that to build the things that I need to build, the things out of the space that I get my equity. So it's like they, uh, what I got introduced to. Literally, I think my first, um, when I spark, first started working at GQ, I was the assistant to the creative director. Um, I was, I, I did that for six months and got promoted into um, our social style editor. And it was literally my whole like foray into social was literally just from what they asked me to come on camera and be the black face. And like I came and did that, but I was like, okay, well now what's up with the job? That's why I started the folklore, because I'm trying to empower our people through what we're doing, because if I'm not sure if everyone in the room knows, but exports is the number two revenue driver for any country around the world. And we need to be able to start exporting these brands because that's not gonna just Yay, now we have these great fashion shows and we can find these fashion brands. We're now employing more people. We're now allowing more money to go through the economy in Africa. And so increasing those exports, and if we can do that through these luxury brands, that's the main goal that we really need to be working towards. Um, and so even like, you know, going back to uh, what Nana's doing in Ghana, come back to Ghana. Tourism, tourism money is really something that's also going to push these brands when, forward. When I was there, they were like, this is when we make all our money yep. for the year. It's Absolutely. December. Yep. And, and, and it's like, we need people from the diaspora, even if you've never been to the continent before, like understand that you're welcome. A lot of people have that, like have a sense that you're not going to be welcome. I'm from Jersey. <laughs> I literally, like South Orange, New Jersey, suburbs. Most of my friends were white growing up. I was like, you know, in a whole nother world. I decided, you know, I wanted to start the folklore. I quit my job and moved to South Africa. I had no friends, no family. And I lived there and I was accepted. I was able to build with people. I flew to Nigeria, was able to meet with all of the designers. Like, and it was also me going on to, like going into the situation knowing that I don't know anything. I'm not, don't come in here on some Christopher Columbus shit. Like, go in there knowing that you're here to learn. You're not here to teach, but you're here to provide opportunities and leverage what you've been able to build from having the privilege of growing up in the U.S. and bringing that to the forefront there. So that was just my little two cents. I'm going to go back yes. to it. <laughs>
But um, so last thing, I want to do some uh, really quickly before we open it up for Q and A. Uh, I want to talk about for production, and that's going to be one thing that could potentially, you know, uh, prevent designers from being able to scale. Um, so, Bio, what is it like in terms of production on the continent now? And what's something? What are some of the tools that are going to be needed, and investment that's going to be needed in order for you know brands to be able to produce and enter these uh, larger retail stores? Yeah. Okay. That's one of the deepest questions. <laughs> um. So the layers. I mean, the layers of the production issues are so deep. Um, I think first of all, I think for us. Production generally just is as raw as it gets because a lot of the labor force that facilitates production is not educated. I mean, we have a lot of our tailors who are people who have just maybe learned it from their moms or from, you know, maybe just like growing up or learning it by hand or whatever. So a lot of the staff who's, that are making the clothes have not come from a skilled point of view, are learning the skills as they go. So it makes it quite difficult for um, sort of the tailors already to make the clothing that you know you want them to make. Anyone that has tried producing Nigeria knows how difficult that gets. So first off, you're dealing with that issue, and then you're now dealing with the issue of the designers as well, then having to educate the tailors, because a lot of us are either self-taught or figuring it out as well as we go. So we're then having to transfer that information to the tailors. So the production situation back home is still at the figuring out stage, um, but I think what it is, I would say, is that I feel a lot of the time people are always like, oh, why are we not talking about scaling up? Like, people are demanding for a thousand or five thousand of these clothes, but I don't think that that is the case at the moment. I think what is important now is creating the avenue to actually produce well-made clothing, whether it's in the tens or it's in the twenties. I think that's what's most important because at the end of the day, we're coming from an industry that has literally nothing starting off. It's like a like a house without a foundation. So we're coming from a place where there are no fashion schools, where um, there's no place that's training the tailors. We have no factories that are functional. We don't have places where you can you know, go and make your patterns, where you can make your fabrics. So it's like at the stage where a lot of the things that we need to run a, a supply chain that's functional doesn't exist. So the investment has to start from that level. It's like, um, Star House Files is one of the people who's really trying to start that because I mean they have a factory now that's running and even then we're still trying to figure out how do we then create a space where you know everything that we need is available, the machinery we need is available because think about it, Nigeria doesn't have the government supporting the fashion industry. In a lot of places the factories are funded by government bodies but we don't have that going on so the factories that exist are, being pri are owned by private individuals. So the finances that we need to run factories to produce the clothing and the numbers that people are saying that I don't think that we need just yet because I mean I feel like even when it starts for I have so I have some experience selling internationally because we sell in a couple of countries no store has asked me to produce a thousand or produce 30 I've worked in retail I've worked in luxury and even when they buy from brands they buy Twenties and thirties. I don't know why everyone's always asking about. Oh, when are we going to scale to make thousands and two thousand? I'm like, is the demand for that there yet? Are black people buying from other black people enough for us to start making a thousand? So who's actually investing in the brands and expecting us to make that many clothes? Because if there's no customer for it, why are we thinking about those numbers? You know. So I think first of all, let's deal with the foundation. Let's invest in the foundation. Let people actually buy from the clothing because you love the industry, you love the country, you love the community, and you want to support the community. And if the finance is being 
pushed into these industries, then maybe the foundation can be restructured, and the foundation that then can then create a supply chain that makes the clothing that people can feel and touch and feel the quality that they feel that they really need. So at the end of the day, I feel like the foundation is really the issue. I feel like we're shooting ahead, saying, oh, produce a thousand, but we don't need to produce a thousand. We need to take care of our, of the floor. You know, we need to take care of the system. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, oh, sorry, it's, it's a lot to think about, but at the end of the day, I'm saying, um, you know, people, I, I think now as a designer, after so many years, I'm getting to a point now where it's like, um, you know, we've been told for so long that as designers, we need to sell in all of these stores. You need to be in Bergdorf's to be important. You need to be in Browse to be important. You need to be in this store and that store and all of these you know, stores that are so important. But then, at the end of the day, who really is the end point of the, of the, of the, of the, of the transaction? It's the customer. And we have a continent filled with billions of people who are literally looking for clothing to buy. We have a community, a race filled with people who are saying, oh, I want to feel some sort of relationship with my people, even if it's through clothing, who we can sell to. We have people who aren't from the race, but who want to support the community. And so maybe at the end of the day, let's create clothing that people feel satisfied buying and not measure our success by the stores who don't even care about it. I've sold in some luxury stores who really just put your name in there just so they can put it in the press. And the next season they forget that you exist. Because, okay, now we've got to the press, so whatever, we'll go back to buying Armani or buying the white shirt that they bought for Armani every season. You know? So it's like, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like, are you, let's think about how we can invest in this industry so that we can take care of our foundation and then we can create the code and we can bring in education. The people here who have the education who can actually facilitate the, the like you have this. So if Lala, for example, is coming to Nigeria or going to Ghana and is teaching people how to produce these clothes with the right quality. I mean, when she said that, I'm like, that's what we need. We need people to come and say, maybe, yeah, we need people to say, oh, maybe this theme needs to be here. We need people to come back and say, oh, how do I invest in the industry? Not, I'm coming to create a stuff for you so that you can sell to these people now. No, how do we create something that helps you as a brand to run? How do we get your clothes to the customers you need to get it to? How do we export your clothing without you spending an arm and a leg? Because the custom system is so crazy because when they hear clothes are coming from Africa, they increase the taxes on them. How do we create the facilities that help you as a brand to sell, or help you to build your, 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 your brand to the point where you can then export it internationally or globally? So I think it's really about investing in us so we can create a better system that allows us to create the clothing that you want to wear. So I think that's really what it is. I don't think we need to think about the thousands and the millions of shirts because I don't know if people are buying it. So start small and deal with the small bits and then from there we can take it up and think about how we can then create the stores and then stock us and you know don't try to fight the stores and beg them to stock us. We're over begging people to put us in their stores or comparing our quality to other people. Let us first, if we sell, if, if, I, if I'm getting the customers and people are saying I want to buy these clothes, then why do you need to all of a sudden feel like, oh, I need to have the exact, I mean, you know where I'm coming from, you know, and it's like, why are you the one dictating how, you know, it's, so there's a lot to, I'm sorry, but there's just so much, and I think because I feel like I go through this conversation every day because I'm based in Nigeria, I'm dealing with production in Nigeria, I'm dealing with manufacturing in Nigeria, I'm dealing with stuff in Nigeria, I'm seeing where we're coming from, I'm seeing what we don't have, and I'm seeing people bring these far-fetched solutions thinking that, oh, they're coming to save us, but it's like, that's not what we need. Ask us what we need, and maybe then we can tell you how you can help us, and that's what it, what it is for me. Sorry, it's like, uh... <laughs>
if you, um, like you're saying, you know, if you do um, do these huge quantities, you know what happens? These companies or these, um, what's it called, the, the Bergdorf's and all these stores, they send it back to you and you're stuck with your stuff and you don't know what to do with it and it's just there and it's wasted money. So it's better to like um, create a demand for things, small quantities, if it sells out, then it sells out and you have to wait till next season and that's good because you don't really want things to be oversaturated again. You know, that's not fashion, that's mass market and you're not mass market. I mean, you don't really want to be mass market either. It's not good for the environment, etc. etc. It's so crazy. Sorry, I just need to say this. It's crazy that the industry is so demanding for sustainability and the environment. Exactly. That they're expecting to create a thousand pieces of clothing to create waste that's not going to be anywhere. It's just going to be burnt and thrown into the environment. So it's like it's such a fickle industry and it's so hypocritical because, like, you want us to create 100 pieces of but then you want, you know, it just makes no sense. And so then don't forget all of the second-hand clothing that's been dumped in Africa as well, that in like landfills, you know. So it's just like, small quantities is good. episode of Our Folklore. We have a lot more great interviews lined up this season. I was really charged up after that panel discussion. So many people coming up to me afterwards and coming up to the rest of the panelists telling us how amazing they felt that that discussion was. And we definitely plan to do more panel events in the future once, you know, they take us off quarantine and all that good stuff. And we all have a clean bill of health. We will continue to drop podcast episodes every Wednesday. So to, to stay up to date with the podcast, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. To find out more about the people discussed in each episode and to shop styles from the brands we work with, make sure to visit us at shopthefolklore.com and sign up for our email list to receive 10% off your first order. Also, you get all a lot of exclusive discounts that other people who aren't signed up for the email list don't receive so that's why you want to subscribe and then make sure you continue to stay subscribed also make sure to follow us on instagram facebook and twitter at the folklore we do have new social handles it is at the folklore so make sure to keep up with us on there and enjoy the rest of your time social distancing i know it's hard to say enjoy the rest of your time but really take some time out to regroup and, you know, begin to figure out how we're going to move forward in a healthier and more peaceful world. Again, my name is Amir Rasul, and this is Our Folklore.